When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of the Tripe Supper. Ahead of Borough's visit to Manchester City this weekend, we're, we're looking at former opponents who Borough played, who've, who've been right up there as the best teams Borough have come up against and how City will fare compared to those. Phil, Vic, looking back over the years, who are the best teams, do you think, who, who Borough have come up against? A typical, isn't it? Because you're you contrasting teams from a different era. And I think for all of us, I think if we... You look at teams really sort of post-Jack Charlton or Jack Charlton's era and, and, and beyond, really. Um, you know... I, I don't think any of us could go back to the 50s and 60s and compare teams. But, I mean, just, just thinking about the teams that Borough faced over the past decade or so, I mean, the Arsenal team, yeah, it was a standing joke, wasn't it? Arsenal used to beat Borough by four every time yeah. they played them. And there, were, there was a little bit in that. And, of course, it was the 7-0 as well. That, that decade when Arsenal had a fantastic couple of um, teams under Arsene Wenger, they, they really stood out as just a class apart from most of the other teams. But a terrific record against most of the big clubs, of course. Um, so Arsenal were that one team that always seemed to just have have the way of, of really just making Borough look <laughs> a different, you know, a different level of team. And there was that spell, wasn't there, where we seemed to get char- uh, Arsenal? Sorry, in every cup competition, we played them some like five times in a season. Didn't it was we certainly four, three times in four weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, one January. January, yeah, including mm. the uh, League Cup semi-final, which Borough actually won. So that was a nice one. I think the matches either side of that, I think we got spanked 4-1. Because was the one where Thierry Henry, I'm sure, I might be wrong with this, but wasn't he applauded? Didn't he just stand in the centre circle and he just broke out into applause because he ripped us to bits for the however many times There was season. a couple of games at the start of the season, wasn't there? Was it McLaren's first match in charge? Yeah, he was th- we were thumped in that one. And then there were, um, I remember another time Arsenal got four. I think it was moved to a Sunday early in the season and I think Andrew Davis was in the team. That might have been 2003 um, four. Um but yeah, it was just. I mean, I liked Arsenal when they were a blend of British steel and also the continental class of you. You mentioned Henri and Perez and Lundberg and players like that. But you also had a British spine in the team with with David Seaman. Uh, I don't know how much of the overlap there was without checking the stats completely. But I remember the, the team that the team that had the, the tail end of um, Tony Adams. And the, the you know you remember Keown standing up to Van Nistelrooy and screaming yeah. his face. They had a little bit of nastiness about them as well, but they were a class team. And um, I think I mean without going into too much detail about Arsenal, I think that's what they've lost. They're, they're now obviously a fantastic result against Man Man City, notwithstanding. They're pretty much seen a bit lightweight, aren't they? They're lacking that steel, aren't they, in the middle of the park, the Vieira and what have you. Um, but you say Arsenal work because other than Arsenal, we did used to do well against. There was the thing with Man United, weren't there? Every year we'd, get something, we'd seem to get something out of Man United. I know, I mean, obviously Bernie might have had a season ticket in Bin's window. <laughs> uh, we had a 2-3-2 two, two wins there, it was a three-all draw there. Uh, we regularly beat them, and, and we beat a very good Man United sides as well. I mean, sides that were regularly getting to the European Cup final and done the treble and that. And Borough seemed to reserve their, their, special, their special performances for uh, big teams, but that's the nature of of a middling club is that you want to raise yourself against these yeah. these clubs uh, you want to test yourself against the best I mean obviously we'll go to Man City and that's a, a team that's packed full of Galacticos with a, 
uh, total value of about seven hundred squillion pounds. Uh, in the past, we didn't tend to measure teams so much by their the expenditure, by, by what they'd actually won. I mean, uh, and Phil said, you know, we, we don't go past Jack Charlton and that, but people slightly older generation will remember when Borough played Man United four years in the row, three years in the FA Cup and once in, in the, the League Cup. And the first time, it took them to a replay, and that was a Man United side that had George Best and Dennis Law and uh, Bobby Charlton. It had only recently become the first English team to win the European Cup. So that's quite a high benchmark. And then, you know, you, you go back over the, the, the games when uh, Borough were... The, the Riverside Revolution was in its early infancy and, you know, we believed anything was possible. I mean, one of the best nights was the, the, the League Cup semi-final against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. That was a fantastic match. And that was a decent Liverpool side. Yeah, it's... Um, there, have, there have been... You can, you can look back over the past decade or two and you can... You, all the big clubs have had a period where they've been in the spotlight, haven't they? I think Chelsea under Mourinho when he first came in, the team that won the title back to back, I think, under him. Man United have had a couple of really good teams. Yeah. You think of the team that won the double in, in 1994. Um, obviously, Borough weren't in the Premier League that season, 93 94, but that particular team peaked around there, and then you got another team around 99 that won the treble, and then perhaps the, the, the team, the Ronaldo team of. of um, you know, two thousand eight nine was it? So, and then you know, we mentioned Arsenal. All these teams have had a period in the spotlight, and at the moment, it's Manchester City and of course Chelsea. Um, although you do feel with City, they've never quite um, been the sum of their parts. Have they? They've got such an unbelievable squad of players. Mm. I'm thinking back to going back to when Mancini had them, and um, you know the. You always felt with them that they could be, if they clicked and got their act together, they could steamroll the division. And uh, we, we saw the tail end of last season how good they were uh, in terms of they just had they just did enough to win the title almost. They were efficient, they? weren't oh, they? Were, they, were, they, were, they were monumentally but efficient. They haven't stamped their DNA on the team yet. I mean, there's so many individuals, and if there's a, a slight tactical problem, they can go out and spend £30 million on Wilfred Boney to stick him on the bench. Uh, but I don't think they've really established personality and I don't think uh, they've really carved out the, the niche where you automatically think of them as a big club even though they're the reigning champions which is a bit strange really because maybe that says a bit about the, the memory span of football and, and the speed with which the story changes now but I, I still don't really think of Man City as being one of the big established clubs whereas in fact they're probably the richest club in the world. I think I'll, perhaps that goes back to what we were talking about before with when Arsenal had a had an English element, a British element in their team, Manchester United used to have a very strong British element in the team, the scores, gigs, people like that. Um, Chelsea, the that the early Mourinho team, you know, the Ashley Cole, John Terry, um, the some of the senior players, Frank Lampard of course, that you felt that the personalities in that dressing room were generally the British players and you it, it, it seemed to be a really good business model, of, you know, from a footballing point of view, and I think that's probably the one thing that that Manchester City lack. Certainly, last season's champions quite often fielded eleven foreign players, and you felt it. You felt looking at it, it was a team of mercenaries. It was a team of players who had no finish, and, and I think that goes for most clubs now. But teams are able to bring in these players and hand pick a right back and a, mm. a central midfielder and a striker and. And they've got the money to make the deal happen. You probably, I don't suppose many of those players grew up wanting to play for Manchester City when they were young. They probably had aspirations, maybe, to play 
for Real Madrid or for one of the big, uh, the Manchester United or Liverpool, but that is what football is about now, money talks, and that's why PSG are able to, 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 to sign big-name players as well. And a little bit's gone out of, you know, the, call it romanticism, call it what you want. You, you feel as though it's now just, you know, multi-billionaires creating a player thing. And I think most Man City fans obviously will be absolutely delighted they've got a team they can be proud of in terms of achievement. But I bet also most Man City fans would prefer it if there was one or two or three English players in that setup, um, you know, to give it that sense that it's bedded in something. Yeah. At the moment, it, it feels like it could be a team from anywhere who's just been shipped into Manchester. One of the problems is obviously that, that players and teams uh, don't have any longevity about them, uh, and w- with Man City and Chelsea to some extent, you know, you know that if someone underperforms, they're going to be replaced. And in two years' time, there'll be nine new players in the first team. And also, the manager will be replaced. So there's no sense of permanence about it. And that, what makes teams is, is the, uh, the, an identity that's, that's evolved over several seasons, usually stemming from the manager. And if you don't have that, you don't have that you know, identifiable brand, if you like, then you don't really have a team. You have a collection of individuals, and it becomes a soccer version of of the sugar babes and they can be replaced and no one notices <laughs> I mean that was the thing with Man United wasn't it and I think it was so impressive for Fergie he built so many teams and he did it gradually slowly but surely bringing in within three or four years it was a completely different team how do you think this Manchester City team and I know it's difficult to compare with years gone by compare with, with champions from the years gone by in the Premier League area now do you think this Man City team compares with the, with the 99 Man United double winning side or the the Invincibles Arsenal team, like you'd mentioned? Well, I think it goes back to what we're talking about. They're not really yet the sum of their parts. I think on paper, you know, the old cliche about football's played on grass, not paper, but on paper, it's an unbelievable squad. You know, it's a squad that that should be winning the Champions League two seasons out of three or going to the latter stages. You know, it's comparable to Bayern Munich. It's comparable to Real Madrid. It's certainly it's better than Manchester United's squad at the mm. moment. And who'd have thought you'd be able to say that ten years ago? It, it, you know, a remarkable group of players. You know, I mean, Yaya Toure is away at the moment, but you know, he he looks as though at times he's carrying them on his own. And I think you just wonder why that team isn't six, seven points clear. I know Chelsea have done incredibly well this season under Mourinho, but you know, really, you think that the investment that's gone into Manchester City and some of the players they've had for really now it's getting on a while, isn't it? Since since the revolution happened there, where the you know the Middle East and um, people came in and took the club over. You'd have thought they'd have more than a couple of titles under the belts by now. I mean, personally, I think they could be, they could dominate for years to come if they get their act together. But at the moment, it's looking a, bit, a big if. Yeah, I mean, when you've got a collection of individuals, it is very hard to to produce a team that has the extra element. Uh, that I think that comes from. Uh, identity and uh, everyone in the team understanding the philosophy and I don't think that's what's happening at, at Man City I mean, you mentioned PSG there and they're doing the same they're buying Galacticos and trying to force them into a framework and the, on the assumption that if we just get loads of good players then somehow it's going to be, be a magical solution I mean, when we saw at Middlesbrough that doesn't work well, we, we tried that at Middlesbrough for the first few years in the Riverside Revolution where realistically Borough suddenly could compete with anyone to buy the, the name players they want. And what you do in that situation is you go out and you buy uh, totemic players. You go and buy trophy players. And you don't necessarily always get the players that you need to develop the team. And some, it's, the, it's the 
kid in the sweet shop scenario, isn't it? You know, you go and get the sexy ones, not necessarily the ones that you should be doing for for a good round uh, healthy diet and make sure you get all the major food groups. And I think you're saying that also with all of the, you know, the, the, the English element in all of the big clubs really is disappearing fast. You look at Chelsea now, that, that John Terry generation has pretty much moved on. They're, they're, they're too old now and he's brought in, he's pretty much brought in a group of, again like City, <coughs> hand-picked Superb players, no doubt about it. Manchester United, they haven't got the personality and character they had when Roy Keane was screaming in people's faces and um, how, however dislikable that was. You know, Ryan Giggs and people, you know, Paul Scholes, you know, the, Phil Gary Neville, they had, they not only did they have an English element, they had a, a Mancunian, Lancastrian yeah. element to them. And, you know, you look back to the teams, there were teams in the 80s that were full of non-British players, I think particularly of Liverpool, um, towards the back end of the eighties, when you know they had, but they, they were British players nonetheless. You know there were other people like Craig Johnston who'd come come through the British footballing system, um, and I think that is changing. And I think that's why it's harder for fans to identify with with you know with with clubs. I mean, would we? You know, the interesting fan, the question for fans is: Would 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 your average um, Borough fan swap everything that's going on out the club? to have what Manchester City have got. And I think initially they'd probably say, yeah, absolutely, I want Middlesbrough to win the Champions League, I want Middlesbrough to win the, the Premier League. But, you know, if that meant the, the, the academy was overlooked and ignored, and if that meant that you just saw a, a, a succession of players coming to Borough, a bit like, as Vic says, we had to a degree. Ravenelli, let's be honest, Ravenelli didn't want to be at Middlesbrough. He made it crystal clear he wasn't happy when he was here. It was a detrimental influence uh, within the club, um, and you know, if you times that by three or four, you've suddenly got serious problems. So, um, on the face of it, it's like it's you know, it's it, it's everything every fan wants. But I think secretly, I think as time moves on, as we're seeing with city supporters, they start to perhaps feel a lack of connection with that group of players. And, and just you talk there about um, you know, kind of city not being a sum of the parts, and the players not generally kind of. Coming together to make a team is that you know they're going to win 10 0 after I was just is that because of you know the, the kind of director of football culture in now and managers perhaps are choosing the players they're signing and it's people above them who are and you know and then they're left to bring the team together well, it, it might be partly that but also to make a team it's as much about getting the psychological blend right and the emotional blend right and the balance of personalities so if you want a centre forward you can either go out and get the most expensive, best centre-forward in the world, or you can take a little bit more time and get the centre-forward that is most suited to your team. Mm. And too many clubs will go for the big money option because, you know, you look at the stats, you know, this bloke's scored millions of goals, this is the bloke we need. Whereas, in fact, he might be a bit of a doyle. And, you know, all it takes is putting one... Yeah. idiot into a dressing room, one disruptive person, one negative person one chippy person and it can undermine the whole mechanics of, and, and dynamics of the dressing room so getting a slightly inferior person that buys into what you're doing and fits into the, the camaraderie of the, of the team may be a better option than spending the extra 10 million to get this, you know, this week's big thing yeah. what I would say City you've got incidentally is they've got Joe Hart they've got Vincent Company who look the right sort of characters. Um, you know, we looked at the season last season towards the tail end when when the players had to stand up. A lot of them, a lot of the key players did. Um, 
I'm not so sure whether they've still got that, you know, enough of that, got that type of player for them to go on and, and, and claw back the points and win the league again this season. I think probably they've got one eye on the Champions League. And I think if, if City do win the Champions League, that will lift them to a new level. Yeah. I think that is still the benchmark um, of, of, of a genuinely top-notch club. Um, we saw how difficult it was for Manchester United to win it. Um, and, and, and they may never win it for another decade or two, United. You know, that's how difficult it's become because you've got... Um, as you say, Chelsea, another club who really found it hard to win it, and probably the one at the time they least expected yeah. to do so. Uh, so it, 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 it is the football is changing, and we're seeing that so much. And um, the idea of having, you know, Newcastle had that idea of having the Geordie Nation eleven, Geordie's playing for them, and, and Steve Gibson really wanted, you know, homegrown players, and still does. But you've got to be realistic. You, you can't have that ideal while every while everybody else is doing something completely different because you just can't compete. You have to come in. You have to bring a key cane. You have to sign a Vossen. You have to be ruthless. You know, I hear people still complaining because we let Richard Smallwood go or we let another homegrown player or Luke Williams is being out on loan. Well, unfortunately, do you want promotion or do you want a team full of homegrown players? Because at the moment, it looks as though you can't. It's one or the other. But that's the real dilemma within football, isn't it? You know, the, the need for success on the one hand, but also the need for identity and the idea that you've, there's something about your club that's different and a little bit principled and we all want to be part of a principled club with a recognisable ethos but if you do that which is a very very noble aim you could find yourself playing in a lower division and while you might think that you're done, you've done that and you've been you know, uh, principally pure you might find that half of the crowd drift because they don't want to watch lower division no. football half of the crowd Want to watch the highest possible level, highest possible level, and if that means buying people who are, you know, not very nice individuals, mercenaries or whatever, then most people would go for that because, whether we like it or not, the, the, the narrative in football is driven by the Premier League, and young kids, uh, not just the Premier League but you know Champions League and, and playing games on FIFA and football manager and they see the, the assembling a team and, and how a team should function in a completely different way to the way we do I think also uh, I mean the one great example of course of, 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 of the Middlesbrough team that was just full of local talent was the 86-87 team the team that won back to back promotions and and that gave everybody some unbelievable memories and it was a fantastic story you could almost not make it up but also let's be honest the team hit the glass ceiling and ran out of steam because the the club at that stage needed to bring in players to supplement what they had and the finances weren't there and of course your best players moved on your palaces moved on and that 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 fantastic period of time really only lasted 3 years didn't it yeah, plus that that team wasn't put together out of principle no it was necessary. that that was crisis management yeah and quite easy i mean the borough got incredibly lucky that that team actually was a good blend and succeeded. It could have all gone horribly wrong, and Borough could well have gone down another division. I mean, that, that would be the nightmare scenario. Borough were incredibly lucky to have that group of players that were forged in that summer of adversity and had a really good team spirit, and that's what got them through. But that wasn't shaped from principle. To, to, just to, to wrap it together then, obviously we've been talking about Man City and, and their, uh, their struggles, I guess, but they are, you know, if they beat Chelsea a week on Saturday, they are on Sunday, they are two points off the top of the Premier League. How did Borough go there and get a result then on, on Saturday? Well, it's interesting, you know, 
I think the one thing that gives Borough hope is that the city can be hit and miss. Um, I, I, I go back to that League Cup final last season against Sunderland. Sunderland were were very very good, and City were very very average for 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 the for the well basically the first half. Uh, unfortunately, City, uh, from Sunderland's point of view, City had world class players who could. Could, who, who did enough on the day to turn a tight match in their favour. Occasionally that doesn't happen for them. Um, we've seen a couple of examples recently. I mean, Stoke beat them this season, um, Newcastle beat them, and when Newcastle actually made, it a, made a few changes, yeah. last season Wigan beat them at, at, at the Etihad. Sheffield Wednesday went close. Sheffield Wednesday went just close. Right yeah. it, it, is, it is a team that if you catch them when they're having an off day, you've got a, you've got a chance. I spoke to you know people connected with the clubs that got results against them the other day, and... The story is pretty much the same. You've got to defend resolutely, and if you get a chance, you've got to take it because you might want to get one. And I guess that's the moral of the story against top clubs, isn't it? How many times do you see an underdog playing a top club squander three great first half chances, and then everyone goes home saying we were unlucky today. We got beat by that 90-minute Man United winner. Mm. You know that happens all the time in, in football. But that's the difference. You get one chance and take it. And I think Borough have match winners in the team. I think that's the good thing about it. Um, I mean, I don't know what Vic thinks, but you know, you can see Kike scoring a special goal or, or one of the players pulling something special out. But it's no good going two 0 behind in the first ten minutes. I mean, for me, it comes down to mentality. And uh, you know, for all we regard, this is a big match. I mean, let's be honest about it. This is Manchester City's least important match this month. Uh, they've just lost against Arsenal. That could swing things in our favour because now they will be absolutely resolute that. Next week against Chelsea is now the, the only thing Must on their win. mind. Mm. And in two weeks' time, the Champions League starts again. This is a complete irritant to them. Uh, I suspect that they will arrest some of their key players and a lot of players will have, have it in their back of their mind. This is not an important game. They won't want to get injured before the Chelsea game. They won't want to get injured before the Champions League starts again. In some ways, you think, well, maybe this is the ideal game where you do play like an underdog and get into them and rattle a few people early and unleash Adam Clayton on his former <laughs> his former heroes and I think if the mentality's right and Borough get into the into the game early on, I can't see any reason why we can't cause an upset because I don't think Man City will really be up for this. Let's hope they can fill a right and Borough can spring a surprise at the Etihad. That wraps up this week's Tribe Supper. Thanks again for listening. Remember we'll be live from the Etihad at our live blog from two PM on Saturday.